0: Well, good morning again. It is the 20th of August, 2021. Most of the headlines today are going to center around Afghanistan. I would uh, expect that to be the case for the coming days. Uh, I have appealed to you for your prayers, and Paul is working to have um, some folks for us to talk with next week, certainly by midweek. Um, who have been on the ground in Afghanistan and who have ongoing relationships with people there for us to talk with uh, here during the program. I don't want to lose sight of what's happening in Haiti as well. Lots of questions uh, being asked about what happened to all the bodies. And it's an, I, I mean, I just recognize that that's kind of a difficult question to ask, but it was asked Uh, Some 10 years ago now, when 220,000 people died, the same question is being asked this week following the 7.2 magnitude earthquake, adding, you know, just an additional point of grief to a litany of challenges being faced by the people of Haiti. And let me just say that the answer comes down to worldview. Um, Most questions ultimately come down to an answer that is related to worldview and here in the United States of America, most of us, uh, death itself is separated from our day-to-day reality. Most people still die in hospitals, not in homes in the U.S. And people in the United States are buried through a, were cremated through a very uh, re- highly regulated process, buried in very specific, highly regulated places. That's not true, uh the world around, and so when we talk about worldview and we talk about where how and where and when we bury our dead, it is a an, an excellent conversation for um, for us to have because it is worldview related it It relates to how we think about the physical body, how we think about um, what happens after death, the relationship that the living have to the dead. All of those questions and conversations are worldview questions, and so in Haiti, part of the um, part of the worldview of people there is that the living have an ongoing relationship with the dead, and you want to keep your dead relatives as close to you as possible and so many Haitians um bury their dead together and they bury them in their front yards um as close to their homes as possible. It's a provocative conversation. Um, It is an interesting conversation for us to have with one another. Why do we do what we do with the bodies of the deceased? And how is that conversation changing as the worldview among Americans is changing as well? Um, If you have not yet heard about it, Uh, The state of Washington uh, has now uh, approved what's called human composting. And yes, that is exactly what it sounds like. Um, But even the rise of cremation, um, outpacing burials, is an interesting and provocative conversation for Christians to have as well. There's a reason that Jesus was buried. There's a reason that Jews and Christians bury their dead. Um, so if you don't know why that is, that might be worthy of a little research and conversation. Um, there is an effort underway to right the wrongs of history, and you may say to yourself, I bet I know where this conversation is going, and I am going to say, I bet you don't. So there's an eighth grade civics class that as a as one of their projects, they got uh, into a conversation about righting the wrongs of history. And is there a person, uh, particularly in the history of their state, these are kids in um, in Massachusetts, um, is there a person wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted in their state who um, should be exonerated? And they, uh, they found and began advocating for a woman who was convicted and condemned in 1693 at the height of the Salem witch trials um, and now there is an effort underway to have that individual exonerated. Um, it's a good conversation about writing the wrongs of history, no matter how long ago um, the wrong occurred, and no matter how obscure um, the person. So uh, just a thought, I would lift that up to you today, as well as something positive going on in a civics class in America. Next up, we've got Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families plugged in. We'll be right back. All right, he's back. It's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families plugged in. Welcome back, sir.
2: Good morning, Carmen. Good to talk to you.
0: You too. All right. Paw Patrol, the movie. Paw Patrol,
2: Paw Patrol: the movie. Uh, a lot like Paw Patrol, the popular TV show on Nickelodeon for the last eight years, but that's obviously too big to, to fit into a title. So um, this is a movie based on uh, a series of the same name. And as you might have guessed, anything with paws in it has animals. So this... Uh, this uh, story okay if anybody features.
0: listening right now is not familiar with paw patrol like you are completely disengaged from reality because paw patrol is big
2: it seems like you just paw patrol shamed people though carmen How is do you that feel just about a
0: confession that? that i have grandchildren
2: <laughs> yeah i think that's no, what that is that's yeah that's what it is i mean <clears throat> excuse me if you have young kids or grandkids you probably know about paw patrol uh this is a group of Six puppies, and they all have different strengths and interests, and they live in a city called Adventure Bay, where they serve (laughs) sort of as, oh, they're part police, part fire department, part very gentle canine superheroes, and they save the day. They rescue people. They help people. Uh, In this movie, uh, in the next town over, which is confusingly, confusingly called Adventure City, not Adventure Bay. Their arch nemesis, a guy named Humdinger, uh, and he's their arch nemesis because he hates dogs. Um, He is now the mayor and he has lots of bad ideas and the bad ideas are causing lots of problems. For example, he shoots off fireworks and it sets off, turns sets lots of buildings on fire. And so there's somebody who lives in Adventure City who calls calls Paw Patrol and says, hey, we need your help. So they go over to Adventure City to uh, to help with the problems there. And they even help good old Humdinger, even though he doesn't like them very well. So, you know, it, this is a show that is aimed at, <clears throat> I'd say the median age is about five or six. Uh, and every <laughs> year past that, um, you're... Your enjoyment of the show will fo- probably fall off precipitously. <laughs> so, but it's a nice show, and it's a nice movie. And apart from a couple obligatory scenes with a little bit of toilet humor and Humdinger in polka dotted boxers, there's no content here. This is a G-rated movie, which we don't see very often. So, and it's in theaters and available on Paramount Plus.
0: You don't see it very often, but I have a feeling I'm going to see it very often. So, <clears throat> there you go. Cuz my guess there is go. there will be people in my family who want to see it multiple times and as long as the dogs are not taking up with cats, I am supportive.
2: Right, All right we do let's... not have any any interspecies relationships here that I know exactly.
0: of. Exactly. No, exactly. All right, let's um now this one I feel like the title um sort of gives it away. The title is demonic.
2: Right? Honestly, you don't need to know much more about it than that. And and full confession, uh, of all the movies out this week, this is one of them, but it's also one that we have not reviewed, but it is about a woman bringing demonic entities into the world to do bad Mm. things. Not only is it bad from a Christian point of view, uh, it is bad apparently from an aesthetic point of view. Because it's at thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes after (laughs) thirty nine reviews. So so let's
0: skip. Let's 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 move on. Let's talk about Reminiscence, and then let's take a break because I need you to tell me what the Metaverse is when we come back.
2: Right. Well, and actually, interestingly, there's a connection between Reminiscence and the Metaverse, accidentally or providentially, I should say. So Reminiscence is a PG thirteen sci fi action thriller mystery starring Hugh Jackman, and Hugh Jackman is living in a dystopian future, not too far in the future, but a little ways in the future, in Miami, and this version of dystopia is the oceans have risen, and most of Miami is underwater, so life is basically miserable for everybody, everybody's wet and humid and grumpy all the time, which frankly sounds like a perfect description of the Midwest to me, but that's another conversation for another time, <clears throat> the the humid part anyway. Um, and he invents a machine that enables you to go back and relive your memories because people want to escape to better memories of the past. So that part of it is a little bit like Minority Report because they strip you down and put a whole bunch of sensors on your head and you go in this water tank to be able to relive your memories. Well, Hugh's character meets a woman falls in love, and then she disappears and he's desperate to find her. And he thinks maybe something in the way they interacted will give him the clue that he needs to find her. So he ends up using his own machine and sort of a, a mystery, not quite a whodunit because it's not a murder mystery per se, but looking for the clue of who this woman is and where she might have gone to. So, Really interesting premise. It's a little bit Blade Runner. It's a little bit Minority Report. (laughs) It's a little bit Waterworld. It's not as good as any of those movies by a long (laughs) shot from from an aesthetic point of view. And it's an example of a PG-13 movie that I think pushes the boundaries pretty close to an R. We've got sexual content, harsh profanity, quite a bit of violence. Um, So I don't know. It feels like a missed opportunity, both aesthetically and uh, ethically speaking.
0: All right, Adam Holtz and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, he's going to explain to us the metaverse. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I want to restart. Put
2: the drum beat back in my heart. I need to be fine. Bring me back to life. Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh. All right, continuing my conversation now with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, plugged in. All right, I am uh, I am looking at a... Post at PluggedIn.com, entitled The Metaverse, Say What? by Bob Hoos. So yeah, The Metaverse, Say What?
2: The Metaverse. So the catalyst for this story is uh, a story about Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, who, apparently not content with being one of the richest, most powerful people in the world, is looking for a way to suck us even more fully into a... uh, a virtual world, and that's probably at the outset the simplest way to think about what the metaverse is. If you play a reality game, and virtual reality games require you to put on this set of goggles, sometimes headphones, that create this immersive sensory environment where you're, it feels like you're in another world. And if you've never done it, it's actually hard to uh, overstate how how immersive it is it really they they really trick your brain into feeling like you have entered into another another place and so the metaverse is a term describing the growing movement toward doing all sorts of things in a virtual reality and in a shared virtual reality so Uh, it's, I think a little, it's a little bit like the matrix. It's a little bit like ready player one. If you've seen either of those movies, it's not that advanced yet. Um, but it will be an invitation to create an avatar and a world in an online environment that you share and interact with other people. And so instead of having a zoom meeting, Maybe you have a metaverse meeting where your avatar talks to somebody else's avatar. Um, but I think it's, it illustrates, just as we saw talking about reminiscence, there's a kind of flight from reality here that I want to escape into um, a world that maybe is kinder, gentler, prettier, more engaging than the gritty one that I live in. And if you've seen Ready Player One, you know that was another post-apocalyptic world That was so awful and so terrible that everybody straps on, you know, their virtual reality system to escape from it. And so I think escape is really, as we think about it theologically, a key idea here that, you know, we want to get away from something. But it's also something we're going to have to think about as this technology becomes more and more prevalent, because what seems like a curiosity now uh, likely won't be in five or 10 or 15 years where, more and more people will be spending more and more time in this online virtual reality.
0: Do you have to wear one of those VR, you know, things on your head?
2: Yeah, you do. At least yeah, at this so... point. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
0: Okay. <clears throat> I'm probably not doing that. i just saying. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Lori wants to know if you and I are going to, if I'm going to ask you, about the OnlyFans thing, so I googled OnlyFans, yes. and I found out that there's a thing going on. Um, there is a thing can going you on. touch on that briefly so that Lori's question will be answered and um, you know all I, I righteousness only... will have been fulfilled in this segment?
2: Yes. So I will only touch on it from the perspective of having seen the headlines, but I think I can talk about it. Only if fans you even know is... what
0: OnlyFans is, then you are right. ahead of me.
2: Well, OnlyFans is basically a a porn site, a subscription-based porn site that people who are either celebrities or um people who sort of want to cultivate a porn-centric celebrity um life can go on. Basically, it's a subscription service where you can go and watch people doing really naughty things and Bella Thorne, who used to be on a Disney show, she has one of these. So there are lots of celebrities that that have these these uh, OnlyFans site where they do pornographic things for money. Um, it can be very lucrative for people who want to participate in it, but the controversy has to do with, you know, are people being trafficked? Are there people doing things against their will? Uh, and, you know, how much should the government be paying attention to and regulating sites like OnlyFans and, and others like them, I'm assuming, that um, may be coercing people into doing sexual sex work uh, online that maybe they are not fully giving their consent to. So certainly there is the the trafficking angle, <clears throat> but I also think there's the bigger angle that you know, we're living in a world where pornography and participating in it is increasingly mainstream and OnlyFans, which sounds, you know, you wouldn't know it was a porn site from the title alone, but it definitely is a website that has pushed things in that direction.
0: Okay. And so the fact that you and I are reading headlines that OnlyFans is now blocking sexually explicit videos starting October 1st means, um, that's it. They're going out of business because that's all right. they do.
2: Okay. That's all they so, do. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, and that part of the story I wasn't familiar with. So that may be a response to some of the concerns that, uh, you know, that there's been trafficking and things happening that are right. not just immoral, but illegal.
0: Yeah. So so that's exactly what I think is going on. Thank you for um, summing it up, even though you and I were not fully read in on the topic. Um, I think I'm glad I didn't have any idea what OnlyFans was, nor anything about it. You make me feel better for my ignorance. Um, All right, so we're gonna leave it right there with um, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Tons of great content, don't uh, don't miss it. If you're not already checking it out, do so at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. Okay, it's not, it's not overstating things for me to say that I totally love you. So, um, in response to the conversation that I had with Adam Holtz about the Metaverse, uh, a listener writes in, hey, the Metaverse conversation reminds me of how one company started holding its meetings in an online game called Red Dead Redemption 2 because the server voice chat was superior to the office chat and certainly superior to Zoom. So, of course, you know, I Googled it. And come to find out, that's actually, like, going on. So um, they didn't like Zoom, so they started holding their editorial meetings in Red Dead Redemption. Instead, writing, "...it's just nice to sit at the campfire and discuss our projects with wolves howling in in the night in the background." Okay, I didn't know this, but the metaverse is apparently a place where people are already uh, meeting. People are also meeting apparently on Minecraft or in Minecraft. Uh, and our listener who alerted me to this said, well, the funny part is occasionally they get ambushed during their meetings. Okay, I don't know about you. I am now going to suggest this to my, uh, to my work colleagues. So I will let you know if I am successful and in, um, in having our meetings moved from uh, Microsoft Teams to, I don't know, Minecraft. I don't know, we're going to find out. J.D. Greer is up next. His brand new book, Just Ask. We'll be right back.
1: This is Max Locato. Life feels stuck when life makes no progress. When you battle the same discouragement you faced a decade ago, or struggle with the same fears you faced a year ago, when you wake up to the same hang-ups and habits, when heartache becomes a permanent mailing address. Jesus sees you, my friend, and he has a new version of you waiting to happen. He says to you what he said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Stand up, do something, write a letter, apply for the job, reach out to a counselor. Stand up, pick up, pick up your mat, Make a clean break with the past and walk. Set your sights on a new destination and begin the hike. Getting unstuck means getting excited about getting out. This is Max Locato.
0: Well, you know his voice from Summit Life. Uh, Hopefully, you've also checked out things that he's writing and working on at jdgreer.com. Joining me now with his latest book, Just Ask, The Joy of Confident, Bold, Patient, Relentless, Shameless, Dependent, Grateful, Powerful, Expectant Prayer, is J.D. Greer. Welcome back.
3: Thank you, Carmen. Did I put enough words in that subtitle? Almost,
0: almost. So here's uh, one of the things that I love about the book. You know, when I saw the title, Just Ask, Um, Immediately, my thought went to all those times in prayer when people say, well, Father, just, well, God, just, 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 just. And I'm like, it's fortunately not about that. What is just ask about?
3: Well, actually, interesting you bring that up because I have a whole little appendix in there of all the annoying things in prayer we should stop saying. <laughs> uh, the just word, the Father God, just the repetitive. Yeah. You know, so, but the the, the serious part uh, of the book is is basically this idea that every time Jesus taught on prayer, um, the, the 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 through line of it all is you just come to your heavenly Father like a child. And the biggest breakdown in prayer is not a problem of self-discipline. That's what most of believers who struggle with with their prayer lives they think it's a it's a self-discipline problem. But ultimately, it it's not being aware of how powerless you actually are to do anything of eternal significance, um, and then also unbelieving as to. God's steadfast love and His willingness to help you. When you realize that, you don't you quit posturing. You quit focusing on asking all the right words, using all the right words. You 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 just come and you ask. It's like a kid. My kids never think about you know the 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 attitude of their heart. They never think about um, you know things and 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 how they just come and they just ask. They present whatever they need, and that's how Jesus tells us to approach our heavenly Father. So
0: you had an experience today, just prior to this, where one of your kids called and asked what. (laughs)
3: she said, dad, my my tire is flat. Now, you know, at this point, right. You know, like if I was a bad father, I would give her a series of questions as to how it got messed up, you know, and, and why she's only telling me now and how she wasn't thinking about my day and all the things I had to do. But you know what I did? I walked outside, I helped her deal with it and made me late for for being here on on your show. But that's actually a good, I'm glad you brought it up because it's a good way that God says, Hey, if you lack wisdom, just come and ask. And I'll actually respond Without upbraiding, or at least that's how one of the translations says it, and that just means without criticizing you, without lecturing you, I I I want you to ask because I want you to be in a a posture of grateful, trusting dependence on me.
0: So that is so relational, and it's so um, it bears witness to the re- relational reality of who mm. God is and who we're designed to be in relationship to God. So when we talk about Jesus, whose life is Saturated with prayer, marked by prayer it it's I think you describe it in one place as just the daily staple of his life yeah. um, he's not praying out of duty or mm. or out of some obligation he's praying because he knows he needs it and yeah. because he knows the father
3: oh absolutely that's a great way of saying it um because you know Jesus i mean if there were ever one person in the world who you would think was competent enough to not need you know to seek his father in prayer, it would have been the son of God himself. But you find, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, before Jesus goes out to select the the men who would become his his close disciples, it said he spent all night in prayer. And if Jesus, the Son of God, would do something like that before he made decisions, how much more should you and I? But then the other thing you hit on Carmen was he he just loved it. It wasn't it wasn't duty. It wasn't like now I've got to pray or things are going to get messed up. He, he, he loved to be with the Father, and that comes from understanding how much the Father, I mean, quite honestly, loves to be with you. It's his love for you that produces love for him in you. My dad, I, I tell the story in the book, the, the, the man who taught me more about prayer than anybody else was, was my father. And my father tells a story. He said, you know, he said, son, you, you may think that I just, prayer has always been a part of my life. It wasn't, even for many years after becoming a Christian. He said, I made this determination. I was going to get up early and I was going to pray. And I set my alarm clock 15 minutes early, and I, you know, I was done with all the excuses. And he said, the next morning, I woke up 15 minutes before the 15-minute alarm clock, you know, that I'd I'd set. And he said, it was one of those times that God really, he spoke to me because my thought was, why am I up so early and he said, I, I just I, I heard, I sensed the Heavenly Father whisper. I just couldn't wait t- for this to get started. I, I just wanted to spend this time with you, that I woke you up fifteen minutes before you'd set your own alarm. And he said my dad said that was it was that understanding that that turned something that was on this, like, oh I gotta I gotta get up and get this done to something that he began to to desire to do when he realized how much God his Heavenly Father wanted to meet with him, it produced a desire to to meet with him in in, in my dad
0: that is the spirit um that you will encounter in the book just ask jd greer is the author um and joins us here today you can also hear him on summit life here on the faith radio network jd when you when you talk about prayer as a delight not a duty
3: how do people respond well the first thing is they kind of they posture <laughs> I and mean, we all pretend like you know everything is great, um, but I, I try to start the book with just some honest confession as a pastor and somebody who's been walking with Jesus for about 25 years now, um, and just say, you know, if if we're really honest, this is a part of our spiritual lives that we're not happy with. Um, in fact, you know, I, I even put some statistics there at the beginning of of people in, in seminaries, uh, people on the mission field, um, who just say that the most underdeveloped part of their spiritual life many years after. Walking with Jesus it's still, still their time with God in prayer. And so when I say that, people kind of they posture, and when you really press them, they don't they don't believe that's possible. They a possible. They believe it will always feel like a chore and a duty. And yeah, let me be clear. There, are, all of us have times where we get up and do the right thing, not because we desire to, but because it's the right thing to do. But, but the gospel aims to cultivate in us. A a dependence on our heavenly Father and trust in our heavenly Father that makes prayer come as natural to us as breathing. Um, the most the least disciplined person listening to this program, um, who who whose whose life feels out of control in every possible way, that person still breathes regularly without like discipline or accountability structures. Nobody's calling you saying, "Hey, did you remember to breathe today?" Uh, of course not. You 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 just breathe because your body craves air. And And when the gospel can properly saturate and cultivate your soul, then it creates a desire to pray in you that is as as, um, as primal and instinctive as breathing is. And that's when you'll begin to pray like Paul says, without ceasing, because you have to, because you you love it and you depend on it so much.:
0: J.D. Greer and I will be right back.
3: Questions with those questions.
0: Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Pastor J.D. Greer, we're talking about his brand new book, Just Ask. Let me just uh, say, if you want to reignite, reinvigorate, reinvest in prayer, this is a great resource. It's really accessible. It's got tons of practical wisdom in it, as well as just some, well, frankly, really great stories. Let's, um, let's touch on, J.D., a couple of the tough questions that you deal with in the book, because in addition to it being intensely practical, there's also just a lot of really good theology in here uh, addressing some of the tough practical questions that people do ask. So why don't you pick one? Maybe it's unanswered prayer.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. the two that came to mind, one was unanswered prayer, and the other is if God knows what I'm gonna ask, you know, and it, it's all kind of mm. he's sovereign over it all, you know, why even do it? So we'll start with the unanswered one. Um I have a whole chapter in on on why are prayers unanswered. And there's a whole, you know, the whole litany of different potential responses. Um, you know, one of them may be that um God actually just in his love knows better than you. Uh, you know, I think of all the, the times my kids have asked me things that I denied their requests, not because I didn't love them, but because I did. And if you compare the gap between my kids' understanding and mine and mine understanding and, and God's, well, the gap between mine and God's is a lot greater. So it makes sense that there are times a loving Heavenly Father is going to say, mm, that's not exactly what you really need. Um, you know, I think one of the the lines in there I quote is, um, sometimes in his love, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew, because Mm -hmm. we don't always know that we say, you know, not my will, but yours be done. Um, but another reason, and this is one of the biggest mysteries of prayer to me is Jesus's persistent teaching in the gospels on persistence. Like, like some things that God wants to give you. Um, he lets you ask multiple times, sometimes over the course of years. And my question is like, well, if it was his will to give it to you, then why, why, Hold it. Why, why why, make you ask so many times? And one of the things that Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, in his wrestling with this and, and the teachings of Jesus on, on asking with persistence, he said, he said it's like a, a father who wants to give something to their child and they're holding it in their hand. But as their, hand, their kid reaches out for it, the father wants to test the resolve of the child. So he, he, he holds on to it to see how hard the child will pull. And he said, our heavenly father is testing us to see how quickly are we going to give up? How quickly are we going to seek another source of help? How quickly is it that we will say, well, God must not really be good or love me, or maybe he doesn't exist at all. And so God is is testing and perfecting the faith. You can only, you really see how much you trust in the goodness of God um, by, you can measure that by how how willing you are to persist in long prayer, um, so that's one of the reasons that God, uh, you know, hold, holds some things. What you can be sure of, He assures you, though, is that He hears, He listens, and if you ask and you depend on Him, He will give, He will answer um, in the best and um, the best accor- in the best plans of His will for you, and you can you can lean on that.
0: So, JD, I want to circle back around to the conversation about how our prayer life can look like the prayer life of Jesus. I suspect that there are people who would then say, well, you know, here's the reality. Jesus was God. He had all the access <laughs> to the fullness of the power of God. And so let's, um, even if people aren't thinking about this question, let's answer it for them anyway. How do we access the power that Jesus accessed in prayer?
3: Yeah, let me give, Carnes a great question. Let me give you a kind of a big picture answer and a small picture answer. The big picture answer is we begin by understanding that we have essentially the same relationship to God the Father that Jesus had because he has shared his relationship with us and given that to us in the cross. And just like God looked at Jesus and said, um, you know, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased, um, we can, in in Jesus, I hear that. There's no condemnation left. I never have to worry about coming to God and him saying, well, I'm not going to give you these things that you need, because I'm upset about, you know, A, B and C, or these, these things have still, you know, ne- we've never gotten justice for them. I know that in Jesus, everything that would cause God to, uh, to look at me with anger or judgment that's been poured out on Jesus. And in Jesus, I hear that unbelievable benediction, um, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and, uh, you're my son in, in, in whom I'm well pleased. Um, so th- that's where that begins. It, it's a counterintuitive truth that many people feel like they need to pray in order to get close to God. What the gospel teaches you is that you'll pray after you realize how close God has made himself to you and the cross. Um, so that's th- that would be the foundation of it. That's the big picture. The small picture is Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we get these, we hear these things or maybe even, you know, not even Jesus, you hear like Martin Luther, I quoted a minute ago, you know, he got up every day and prayed for four hours and felt like his day couldn't begin until you pray four hours. And I don't know how many times, you know, I've heard that and been like, oh, I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to pray for four hours and I make it through 10 minutes and I'm asleep or, you know, my mind is wandering thinking about what I watched on Netflix the night before. Um, You don't have to start with the four hour or the all night prayer thing. Um, You can start um, as 10 minutes a day. That's what I counsel the book. 10 minutes a day for 21 days. 21 days is how long they say it takes to form a habit that's harder to stop than it was to start. 10 minutes a day where you pray. Um, I give you some tips on how to organize that prayer time, how to use prayer cards, how to use the, the, the Lord's Prayer. And just work through that for 21 days, and you'll find that you are in a much different place after the end of the 21 days than you were when it started.
0: Yeah, I like to pray passages of scripture as well. Um, if mm. I, particularly if I'm in a day or a season where I just seem to be really distracted in prayer, mm. um, I just prepare for prayer by selecting passages of scripture. Mm. Sometimes prayers of Paul, um, sometimes straight out of the Psalms. I just pray the Word back to the Father, figuring yeah, that that's great. you know there's just no chance that's going to be out of His will. So, I mean, that's I just right. I just prayers you got to have like practical ways.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the prayers that start in heaven are the ones that are heard by heaven. And so that's why you you begin your prayer time like you said with the scriptures themselves. We've always heard, you know, read through the Bible in a year. That's great, but you really ought to pray through it because it's a book of more than 3,000 promises, all of which are activated and claimed by prayer.
0: I just love it. Um all right, so one question that I told you I was going to ask and People have maybe have not seen the video related to the book, but now, of course, they're going to want to go see the video. Um, The book is Just Ask, and if you just Google it, you're going to find the video where J.D. Greer is talking about the book. And so now I have a question. On the table in the video, there's a little succulent plant. What is up with the advent of the succulent? Because I now see them, they're, they're ubiquitous. It's like the new, is it like the new trendy thing?
3: You know, I wish I had a great answer to that. Truly, it was put there by someone for me. We have a great designer here. I'm sure she thought that it, (laughs) you know, they say that whenever you see a chicken in a movie, that's the universal sign of chaos. I think the succulent plant is the universal sign of calm. So you put it out there and you're like, everyone Ah. feels better now.
0: Oh, I felt better watching it. I was, I might've been a little distracted by it. Um, As a person who lives with chickens, I now better understand my own environment.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's right alright that's
0: right, get back to um, get back to all the things of life that are required of you as a dad and a husband and a pastor and a teacher and an author thank you so much for carving out this time to be with us today the book is Just Ask uh, you can find it everywhere you can find JD online at jdgreer.com that's got two E's and an A in it G R eear.com You can also find him every single day here at noon on the Faith Radio Network. The program is Summit Life.
3: J.D., thanks so much. Thank you, Carmen, for having me. What a joy. We'll be right back.
1: Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking out?
0: so distracted by the little succulent plant in the video. I forgot to tell you, we have copies of the book to give away. So if you are listening and you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of J.D. Greer's Just Ask, we've got copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. I wanted to end um, our conversation today with a benediction, my favorite one. And so I hope you are in a position to receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace. What do you want most today for others? What do you need most today? Peace. Jesus says, as recorded in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 27, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I'm, gonna, I'm going away and I will come to you. And if you loved me, um, then you would have rejoiced because I'm going away to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Friends, let us rise and go from here. Let us go as people of peace. Let us go as ambassadors and servants and disciples of the Prince of Peace. A peace which passes all understanding. A peace which is all sufficient for the concerns of this day. The peace of Christ be with you all. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.